John 18, verses 28 through 40. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would be so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What occasion do you bring against this man? What accusation you do bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not our law for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did, you, did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, and I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the earth, I mean to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, listen to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barber, Barber. Now, Barnum was a robber. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, again thank you today. Lord, we are grateful for you gathering us here. And Lord, we're thankful for another opportunity to uh, come together for worship. We're thankful for the freedom to do that. And Lord, we're thankful that you put it on our hearts to do it. Lord, we're thankful for the change you've brought about in our lives. We're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful this morning, and we're reminded, especially as we look at these passages, for the sacrifice of your beloved Son, who endured Calvary's cross, not for his own sin, but for ours. And Father, as we work our way through this section and this time of study, uh, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you just remind us what this is all about, what's going on here, what is recorded in these pages, and the expression of your own love that comes through with what Jesus has done here. Give us understanding, we pray. Use it to change our lives so that we live with the cross in view and with eternity in view before us. And may it all be for your honor and glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be seated.
Well, just a little brief recap to put us in context here. What, where we're at, of course, is uh, Jesus has been arrested um, and is about to be crucified. So we're at the final stage of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry uh, before he goes to the cross uh, to bear the sin of all of his people, paying the price of redemption for us and buying, like we were singing earlier, buying our victory. I mean, this is, this is where our victory is. Uh, it's not something we did, not something you and I um, pulled off, but it's something Jesus did in our behalf. Took our sin upon himself, um, imputed to us his righteousness, and so he went to the cross and suffered and died, and we benefit, um, we benefit through his sacrifice. So here we are um, with Jesus before Pilate. Now, last week we talked primarily about uh, his appearance before uh, Annas, the high priest, um, the former high priest, and Caiaphas, uh, who was the current high priest at this time. So, so we talked mostly about the, the Jewish trial. That is, Jesus is being tried by the, by the uh, Jewish officials. And, and this is their main concern, by the way. Um, their charge is essentially blasphemy. You know, he makes himself out to be God. But um, they don't have the power of execution. At least they can't do it legally. They would sometimes do it, but they can't do it legally. And we're going to see here in a moment that, that uh, John says that this thing has to play out a certain way in order to fulfill what, what Jesus has said, what the Scriptures have, have foretold. In other words, Jesus can't die just any death. He has to be crucified. And so that has to be done by the, by the civil authorities, the civil government, the Roman, the Roman government. So even though the Jews are primarily concerned with his, uh, what they consider his blasphemy, what they're going to accuse him of before the Romans is insurrection. He's claiming to be a king, and that, of course, is a threat to Caesar's throne. And that's the only way they can, they can uh, get the, the Romans to uh, sentence him to death. And even that doesn't all work too well, but, but, uh, but in the end, uh, of course, it takes place. So now, as David read, verse 28, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters or the praetorium of, uh, of Pilate. Now, what I'm going to do here is, is really kind of focus in on, on several, um, uh, several things that are said here, several phrases um, here, and, and just kind of highlight those um, as we look at Jesus' uh, um, confession before Pilate. So let me start... Um, Back up a little bit here. Let me start what I just mentioned a moment ago. Verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Now here's Pilate, the Roman governor, speaking to the Jewish authorities. And what he's saying is, I, I don't want to waste my time with this. If, if, you've, got, if you've got a quarrel with this man, you know, he's, he's obviously not done anything uh, that, that the Romans would consider worthy of arrest and incarceration or certainly the death penalty. So Pilate's trying to brush him off. You take him and you judge him according to your law. Now the problem is they want him put to death. They want him crucified. And they, they can't do that, so that's how they respond. 
Again, you look in verse 31. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That's what they're, they're saying to Pilate. We brought him to you because we believe he's committed a capital offense and we don't have the authority to put him to death. And that's why we brought him to you. It, it's, it's not lawful for us to do it. You've got to do it. Now, John, verse 32, John, the author of this gospel, explains this was to fulfill, in other words, this was done, to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, again, this is important because here, here you have the, the God's sovereignty at work, God's providence at work. There's a certain way that Jesus has to die, and it is by hanging on a cross in the Old Testament. And, of course, the Jews know this well. The Old Testament says, Cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. In other words, he's, he's going to be publicly, as in, in, in the, uh, being crucified, he's going to be public, publicly humiliated, put to shame. Now, that's what they want. But behind the scenes, God is at work here, making things happen, orchestrating things in, in this manner so that Jesus is crucified, um, so that he goes to Calvary and, and there bears the wrath of the Father. Now, let me do this because of John's statement here. I mean, let me give you at least one reference to look back at. John says this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, where did Jesus say that? In fact, let me make two points here. Number one, he treats Jesus' word like Scripture, doesn't he? He says this was to fulfill what Jesus spoke. <laughs> a, lot of time, a lot of times, or usually when you see that formula, you know, this was to fulfill what the Scripture said, and it points back to some prophet or whatever, uh, you know, Isaiah or something like that. But here John says this was to fulfill what Jesus spoke, which indeed is the same as Scripture. Uh, in fact, he is the incarnate Word. So let me give you, in fact, I'm going to give you two passages. One back in John 3. Um, it's kind of a vague reference, uh, but um, I believe that's what he has in mind here. Um, John chapter 3, verse 14. And this is where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he's talking about his own death. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So when he talks about his own death, his own saving work in, in, in his death, he describes it as being lifted up. Lifted up. And I take that to be literal because that's exactly what winds up happening. In other words, he's not just talking about, sometimes we, we use the term lifted up like meaning exalt him, which you can have that meaning. You know, lifted up, he's exalted. But, but here he, it's, it's literal, it's the crucifixion, he's lifted up from the earth onto a cross. And so Jesus likens it to the bronze serpent in the wilderness when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and... Um, the Lord sent serpents, fiery serpents among them, poisonous snakes, and they would get bitten and they would die. And so they cried out to Moses and to God. You know, Moses cried to God. And God told Moses to erect a bronze serpent on a pole in the center of the camp. 
And from now on, when somebody gets bit by one of these um, deadly snakes, they were to look at the pole, at the bronze serpent on the pole, and everybody who looked to the bronze serpent after they were bitten would live and not die. Now, all that may seem kind of strange <laughs> to you and I, but it's a, it's a picture, it's a foreshadowing of salvation through Jesus Christ. Everyone who looks to Christ will live and not die. And that's what Jesus is saying here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Okay. And so, again, his, uh, the reason I'm giving that passage to you here is because he speaks of being lifted up. Now, you look at John 12, verse 32. It's another reference um, where Jesus mentions this. John 12:32 And I when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. So again, Jesus speaks of being lifted up from the earth. He's talking about his crucifixion. And again, he's referring to it as um, the act in which or through which he will he will save his people. He will he will draw all people to himself. Now, how do we know it's talking about the crucifixion? Well, look at verse 33. John, again, inserts an explanatory note here. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So when Jesus spoke the words that we have here in verse 32, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, John says he was referring to the manner of death by which he was going to die. Now, over in chapter 18, that's what John has in mind here, um, looking back. And he says, this was to fulfill. In other words, Jesus had to be turned over to the Romans who had power to crucify him in order to fulfill the words Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Chapter 18, verse 32. Now, here's what I want us to kind of see here, and, and, and that right there illustrates it, but we're going we're to see it as, as we move on through here, that, that it doesn't change. Jesus is, is in control of this whole situation. So like, just like we talked about before, none of this is, he's not being blindsided by any of this. Oddly enough, you know, they are, uh, even his, his opponents, even though they've been plotting uh, and wanting to kill him, they don't understand what they're doing. They don't fully understand who it is that they're opposing, who it is that they're condemning, and who it is that they are putting to death. Jesus, of course, understands all of this. We talked about that last week. He, knowing all things, for example, in the garden, he stepped out, met his um, arresting officers. So... He's in control through all this. And you're going to see, as we, as we walk through these verses, his, his demeanor, for example. Pilate is the nervous one, <laughs> not Jesus. And we, we know more about that from the, from the gospel accounts, like Matthew. John doesn't shed a lot of light on that here, but Matthew does in Matthew 27. And, and you, can, you see evidence of it here, because Pilate is, is uh, basically trying to figure out what to do with this man. 
But Pilate is the one that's nervous here, not Jesus. And although Pilate is trying to interrogate Jesus, you know, it sort of gets flipped around, and Jesus is asking Pilate questions and more weighty questions. So Jesus is fully in control, and everything that is going on here is happening according to God's will. Now, here's the reason why, and this is, again, part of what we're going to highlight here, but here's the reason why. It's because he's, he's the king. He's the true king. Here you've got Pilate, a governor, local governor, who does have a, a, a you know, large amount of authority under the auspices of the, of the, uh, the Roman Empire. And then, of course, Caesar, um, the emperor, in charge of the whole, the whole empire. And yet, here you have this, this condemned man you know, from a little fishing village, Galilee, before Pilate, and he's the real king. And not just over Judea, not just over the Roman Empire, and not just over the earth, but all things, heaven and earth and all things. We'll come back to that in a moment. That's why he's in control, because he's the true king, and he's orchestrating all things here according to his own will for his own glory, and for the salvation of his people. So here, here we go. The king and the kingdom. All right, this is, this is where the discussion is going to go here with Jesus and Pilate. The king and the kingdom. Why is that? Because uh, this, is, this is how the Jews are getting him convicted. They're, they're saying, you know, he's claiming to be a king. And the way that they convince Pilate to condemn Jesus is, is by saying he's claiming to be a king, and that makes him a threat to Caesar. Now, that, that is deserving of the death penalty under the Roman system. Uh, they, they don't want anybody threatening Caesar's rule. In their mind, there's one Lord, and it's Caesar. All right, so the king and the kingdom. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Here's one of the statements I want, to, want us to hone in on. Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? This is one reason Pilate's nervous. <laughs> because he asks the question, Are you the king of the Jews? That seems like a simple enough question, right? And Jesus comes back like he so often does. Answering the question, or, or maybe you say not answering the question, but responding to the question with a, with a question. I don't know if you listened to any of the, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court <clears throat> debate about um, same-sex marriage. I listened to the, to the audio when they released it, and uh, one of the lawyers did that, uh, although he wound up winning the case, but, but one of the lawyers did that to Justice Scalia, and uh, he got more than a little perturbed, and the, 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 the justice did. And he said, don't answer my questions with a question. <laughs> That's enough to make you kind of shake, you know, before a Supreme Court judge. But that's what Jesus is doing here, and, it's, and the situation is somewhat reversed. I mean, he's not the one shaking in his sandals. Pilate is. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus comes back 
and just zeroes in on Pilate. I mean, this is, this is personal. Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? You know what this reminds me of when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, you know, some, some say you're a prophet, the prophet, you know, that would follow Moses. Some say you're Elijah, you know, come back. And some say this and that, you're a good teacher or whatever. And then Jesus got real personal with them and said, but who do you say that I am? He's, he's zeroing right in on their heart. What do you think? Who do you believe that I am? Because it's not enough to have secondhand experience. And it's good to inquire. You know, it's good to inquire about the Lord and, and who He is, what He's about. Um, but it's not good to just continue to operate on what you've heard people say about Him. I, I think I did that, oh, for at least about 22 years because I was taught some right things about the Lord. And in one sense, I believed it. I mean, it wasn't that I was going around questioning it all the time. I mean, I was told Jesus is the Son of God. I was told that He went to the cross to pay for our sins. I was told all of these things. He was God incarnate. And I just kind of gave mental assent to that. You know, I wasn't really arguing with anybody about that. <laughs> that's, that's what I'd been told. I guess, you know, good enough, whatever, that's okay. What was lacking was the first-hand knowledge. What was lacking was sincerely inquiring you know, on, on my own behalf trying to find out, is this really who Jesus is? See, when, when Pilate comes, and Jesus knows his heart, when Pilate comes and says, are you the king of the Jews? That's what he's been told by the chief priests and the elders. And personally, he could probably care less what they think of Jesus or who Jesus is. In fact, at this point, he's still just basically trying to get rid of him. Are you the... King of the Jews, and Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord? In other words, are you really, are you really inquiring because you want to know? Are you really thinking that I'm, I might be a king, and if I am a king, you want to know, and you want to know should you give obeisance? Or do you just say this because you heard others say it about me. Well, like I said, Pilate, he, he, he doesn't, and Jesus knows this. That's why he hits him with that question. Pilate doesn't have any real interest, and he's offended by the question. He says in verse 35, Am I a Jew? That's basically a way of saying, you know, this, this is not any of my concern. I'm above all of this anyway. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now, here's the next sentence I want to focus in on, verse 36. And interestingly enough, uh, what Jesus is doing here is answering Pilate's first question, basically. 
Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And now Jesus is going to say, my kingdom is not of this world. One of the problems with Pilate's question is it, it, it narrows Jesus' dominion, which you can't do. <laughs> he, has, he has all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. So are you the king of the Jews? Well, the answer would be yes, but, I mean, just, it, but it just doesn't cover it all. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. You might want to... Uh, I've just mentioned this as a side note, but that, that term deliver is, is used repeatedly. Delivered over is usually the way it's translated. It's the same word that's used about Judas. So it's translated betray. You know, Judas is the one who betrayed him. So it can carry both those ideas, betray or, or delivered up, you know, which is what Judas did. He delivered Jesus over to the, uh, to the um, chief priests and, and elders and, and the Romans. Um, what's interesting, like I said, about God's sovereignty and His providence, when you get over into the book of Acts, there the apostles say that He was delivered by the foreknowledge of God and by God's own counsel through the hands of wicked men. But ultimately, it was God's doing. So, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, what is Jesus saying? Let me say what he's not saying first. He's not saying, this world is out of my jurisdiction. Remember those old movies? I, I wouldn't try this, by the way. I don't think you can really do this. But remember those old movies where... You know, somebody would be running from the cops, you know, it'd be a car chase or something like that. And if they, you know, if they just make it to the county line, once they got to the county line, you know, they, they could keep going and the sheriff would have to turn around. I don't think it really works that way, so like I say, don't try that. <laughs> Maybe it did once, you know. But the reason they did that was because all of a sudden they're out of their jurisdiction, if, they, if, they, if the bad guy gets across the county line or across the state line or whatever it is, he's out of the jurisdiction of that guy who's chasing him. And so uh, he's free. You know, that guy has no power. He has no authority. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying the world, my kingdom's not of this world, meaning I don't have any jurisdiction here. Look, if I had jurisdiction here, I'd arrest you. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the nature of his kingdom. In other words, it doesn't have its origin in this world. It's not what it consists of. It's not an earthly kingdom like the Roman Empire. It doesn't derive its authority from this world. You know, there's not a not a Senate body somewhere, or even a body of citizens somewhere that, that willingly submit or, or, or even by force and, and just say, well, you know what, we recognize, we, we grant your authority, we, we give you authority. He doesn't derive his authority from this world. In fact, not only is he not saying, this world is out of my jurisdiction, 
It's actually the opposite. In other words, this kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. It, you know, it goes beyond this world. This world is included in it, but it goes beyond this world. So it doesn't operate the same way. If it did, if, if it were just another earthly kingdom with earthly interests, you know, trying to establish geographical borders and that kind of thing, if it were of that sort, then Jesus says, my servants would fight. They would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over. And by the way, that's, that, that's the misunderstanding Peter had, wasn't it? Because he was, or at least he did attempt to fight that way. No doubt, thinking he's going to rescue Jesus. If you can imagine that. He's going to rescue Jesus and help Jesus establish the kingdom. And so, Jesus had to tell Peter more than once in different words, but essentially the same message. My kingdom's not of this world. It's not what my kingdom's about. It's not what I'm here for. So he says, again, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world, or literally not from here. Not like the Roman Empire, which is from here, of here. It's of the world. And it's limited in scope. It's limited in jurisdiction. It's not like the United States of America or any modern nation. Again, our power and the scope of our reach, limited. Our authority is given, granted. Jesus is going to go on to tell Pilate uh, that very thing, by the way. Not to get ahead of myself, but over in, in chapter 19, verse 11, he, he plainly tells Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And that's exactly where Jesus' authority derives from. Back in chapter 8, He told the Jews plainly, You're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. So that's what He's saying here. I'm not of this world, I'm not from below, I'm from above, and my kingdom is from above. The that's the nature of it. It rules over the world, but it's not of the world. In fact, let me give you just a couple of references there. Um, strong to me. Deuteronomy 4.39. Note, this is Moses telling the children of Israel, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Daniel 4.35. And there's really a couple of passages you could go through, uh, you could go to in the, in the book of Daniel that, that say similar things. Um, Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. 
all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does... Uh, let me back up to verse 34, halfway through verse 34. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? <laughs> because his dominion covers all. All the hosts of heaven and all of the earth. He does according to his own will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand. That is, nobody can stop him and say, What, what do you think you're doing? What have you done? Can't do it. The writer of Hebrews um, quotes from Psalm 24. It's in Hebrews chapter 1. And, and this is what he, his theme here, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the supremacy of Christ. And in Hebrews 1 verse 8, speaking of Christ, and again, he's quoting from the Psalms, he's looking back to the Psalm. He says, but of the Son, he says, that is God says of the Son, Jesus your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So that's, that's another way in which it differs. In other words, Jesus' kingdom, he says, my, I'm, my kingdom is not of this world. It's everlasting. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Or um, back in the verse we just read in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel 4.34, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. So it's an eternal, everlasting kingdom. And then again, the writer of Hebrews says, the scepter, of his, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So He rules in righteousness, which again is another distinction from any kingdom of the world. So Jesus is referring to the nature of His kingdom. And He's not saying it's limited. I can't do anything here because my kingdom's not of this world. No, it's quite the contrary. He's just saying, my kingdom doesn't function like your kingdom does, like the Roman Empire or like the United States or whoever it is. It doesn't have the same goals. So that's the king and his kingdom. Now, let me... Let me for this next point, let me use a phrase from, um, from Paul's letter to Timothy because he's, he's pointing back to this. The phrase is this, the good confession. Now, that's from 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 and 13. Paul tells Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, 1 Timothy 6.13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Interesting, isn't it? He says, Timothy... Fight the good fight of faith. Take, take hold or lay hold on eternal life, the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. 
And, you know, that could apply to every one of us. In other words, if, if you're a Christian, you made the good confession. And Paul says, lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And he likens it to what Jesus did before Pilate. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What in the world is Paul talking about the good confession? Well, and this is the reason I bring it up, because I think it has to do with, the, with our main point here, and that is the lordship of Christ, that Jesus is the king. And I think the confession that Paul is referring to is in verse 37. John 18, verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. Now, again, that sounds strange to us, but that is a, a form of affirmation. It's, it's like saying, um, you, in fact, I think some, your translation, some of your translations may, may uh, translate it this way. It's, it's, it's like saying, you have said correctly, or something of that sort. You've said it correctly. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to, into the world to bear witness to the truth. All right, so, are you the king of the Jews? Well, my kingdom's not of this world. But you are a king then. That's correct. Or you said correctly. You said, I'm a king. You said it. Jesus is the king. Not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews, but not just the king of the Jews, but the king overall. King of kings and Lord of lords. And in fact, if you want to sum up the good confession, I think that would be it. It is our, our profession of submission to Jesus Christ, our profession of trust in Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. We, we submit to Him and we trust in Him because we recognize He's the King. He's the King. We recognize that He is God in the flesh. So there's the good confession. One last point here. And that's this last question of Pilate, which, of course, is also <coughs> related. Here's what Jesus says. You say that I'm a king, or you said correctly, or something of that sort. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So, so Jesus says, I was born for this purpose, and for this purpose I've come into the world. And here's how he describes that purpose, to bear witness to the truth, or to testify to the truth. Now, keep in mind what he has just what he has just confessed that he's a king and that or he's the king and that his kingdom is not of this world. That's the truth that he's bearing testimony to, not not just in his words here before Pilate, but in everything that he's said and done throughout his earthly ministry. He's been bearing witness to the truth, primarily by fully disclosing God to us. Remember that? We've, we've, we've mentioned that several times. 
Back in chapter 1, verse 18. Let me go back here for just a second. It's an interesting statement. Chapter 1, verse 18. If I can find it. I know it's in my Bible. I'll look. Here it is. I've read it before. Okay. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Here's the phrase. He has made Him known. Talking about Jesus, of course. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The, the Greek word there is, is the word we get our word exegete from, or exegesis, which is the idea of explaining. Or narrating can be translated narrate. He's translated God to us. Uh, narrated God to us, rather. Or He's made Him known. Or He's explained Him. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has explained Him. No one has seen God. This is what John is saying here. No one has seen God, but Jesus has explained Him. Or made Him known. Or narrated Him. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. I came for this purpose, to testify to the truth. The truth of God, the truth of the realness of God, the truth of God's King, of course Himself, Jesus, the truth of God's kingdom, and the realness of God's kingdom. And then, of course, remember this from John 14, 6. Jesus is the truth, right? right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when Jesus says, I came to bear testimony to the truth, He's testifying of Himself. He's making Himself known. Now, here's the question from Pilate, and we'll close with this. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now that's a great question. It really is. I wish, I wish, um, I mean, I, the ideal thing would be that everybody would be concerned with that. Everybody's not, but that would be the ideal. If everybody were really concerned with what is truth, that's a great question. Of course, Pilate doesn't seem to be asking in order to get the information. And he doesn't really seem to want to know, does he? Look at the next verse. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. In other words, he, it's like a comment going out of the room. Comment in the form of a question. Out of disgust, probably, you know, Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to truth. And Pilate, what is truth? You know, and out of the room. Great question, except he wasn't really asking it. And again, the answer is right in front of him. In fact, you could, you, it, you could rephrase the question this way. Who is truth? And the answer is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Pilate's totally missing it. He's, 
He's in the same room with truth. He's having a conversation with the truth. He's looking truth in the face. And isn't that the condition of the world? Isn't that the condition that you and I were in before, before the Lord saved us? The, the evidence of the truth is all around us. The heavens and the earth, you know, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But we just don't have a, a real interest. Some people like to ask heavy philosophical questions just for the sake of discussion and just, you know, just to, to have something to talk about, I guess, while, while we're standing around the water cooler or drinking tea together or whatever it is, rather than really seeking to find the answers. That's what was going on at Athens when Paul entered the city in Acts 17. They would gather there at Mars Hill, and they loved to come together and hear the latest new thing. And so they wanted to hear Paul. They were intrigued by Paul's preaching. And they said, well, you know, we need to hear, we need to hear you. But it's just because that was kind of their habit. They didn't have, they weren't really seeking. They just, you know, it's just a, a new topic for discussion. Pilate doesn't show any real interest. He's asking the right question. He's just not really asking it. It's more of a sarcastic comment it appears, than anything. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. That's John 14, 6. I know that, that sounds like it doesn't fit. What do you, how can a person... Because He's God. There is no truth apart from God. There is no truth outside of Him. He is truth. He defines truth. That's how we know what truth is or what is true. And Pilate's looking him in the face and missing truth. A couple things for application. First, we, we must have first-hand experience. That is, we ought to be true seekers. True seekers. Not just asking if he's king because it's a good topic for discussion. I mean, we've heard others say that. But we ought to really be trying to find out, if we haven't already, for ourselves, what the truth about Jesus is. You won't get it from the History Channel, but you will get it from the book, from his book, the Bible. We must not, I think this is probably a good principle, especially for those of us in the United States, we must not get kingdoms confused. Jesus' kingdom, which by the way, His kingdom on the earth is the church. And as the local church, we are... We are the, the incarnation of His kingdom. We, are, we, we represent His kingdom. We are His kingdom, the local church, and the church worldwide. But, but we don't want to confuse His kingdom with other kingdoms like the United States. Christians in our country are, are prone to do that. And we use terminology, you know, like Christian nation and so forth. There's no Christian 
nation. There are kingdoms of this world, and there is a kingdom not of this world. And his kingdom is not of this world. Kingdoms like the United States and others are kingdoms of this world. That doesn't make them morally wrong or anything like that, and that's not what I'm suggesting. But they're not his kingdom. And our citizenship is first. If we are born again, our citizenship is first the kingdom of God. Now, we must believe and echo the good confession. That is, we confess Jesus as supreme. He was supreme over Caesar. He's supreme over the president. He's supreme over all earthly kings and authorities. He's supreme over authorities and, and uh, principalities beyond this realm. <laughs> He's supreme over all. And we need to echo that. That's our good confession, like Paul was talking about with Timothy. And then finally, we must be sincere truth seekers. What is truth? That question needs to be answered. We have the answer. Not because we're smart, but because God gave it to us. We have the answer. What is truth? Jesus is truth. And that, that, that is full of implications for all of life. I mean, we, 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 we spend the rest of our lives un, unpacking that little truth. <laughs> I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? Well, we could, like I say, we could go on from now to the end of our lives unpacking that. He's the truth. Would you stand, please? I'm just going to ask before we dismiss... Um, ask you to examine your own heart this morning as far as where you stand with Him. Do, do you recognize Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords? Do you recognize Him as Lord over your own life? And by, by that, I mean, are you submitted to Him, to His rule? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Am I submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Am I living in obedience to Him? Do I trust Him? for the forgiveness of my sins and for everlasting life. Remember the bronze serpent on the pole? All that look to it live. And Jesus said, that's the way it is. When the Son of Man is lifted up to draw all men unto Himself so that we might have everlasting life. God gave His own Son so that all who believe in Him have everlasting life. Are you trusting in Him for eternal life this morning? Do you know that He went to the cross to pay for your sins? Do you see Him as King? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word and for these truths that You've made known to us. The Lordship of Jesus and His eternal rule. And Lord, we're so thankful for being included in Your kingdom, being heirs, join heirs with Christ, being made your children. We're thankful, Lord, for your love for us. And Lord, we pray for your power to live in this world as true children of the kingdom. May our first allegiance be to you. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.